Welcome to the VU Church Podcast. The Easter story reminds us that the best is yet to come. Wherever you find yourself on the faith journey, the good news that we anchor onto is that Jesus rose for you and I. When all hope seemed lost, at the darkest hour, Jesus' resurrection brought light, changing eternity forever. Today, Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. explores the story of Easter, highlighting three key elements that remind us our faith is alive. In today's message, morning ends in the morning. Thank you for listening. We hope you're blessed by this ministry. We'd love to stay connected. Hit the subscribe button so you're notified when the next podcast is live. Remember, your worst season can give birth to your best season. Let's lean into the message together. Let me just say, uh, next week we are kicking off this brand new collection. It's something I'm very excited about. This is VU. And it's been a while since we've done a collection around our values. And if you've been coming around VU for a little bit going, I want to know a little bit more about that place. This is a perfect collection for you. Um, But not just that, like people can look around VU at times and go, man, it seems like it's going really good. It is going good, but I always say it this way. It'd be going a whole lot better with your participation. And I think this collection uh, plays a part in that, but also today is growth track step three. We promote this every Sunday that we have church. There's four steps to participating around here at VU Church. Today's step three. Doesn't matter if you went to step one, step two, you could just start at step three today. And today is really all about um, getting equipped. It's all about discovering your personality, your purpose, and then being released to discover why God puts you on this earth. And so after any of the services that you're at today, you can go right to growth track. And I know that will make a big difference in your life. Today out of John chapter 20, I'm gonna read uh, quite a few verses. This is the resurrection account uh, according to uh, the apostle John. And he says this starting in verse one. He says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. It's kind of funny because the one who's writing this is the one who says that he outran Peter. (laughs) He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Verse nine, they did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. But then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels, someone say two angels. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she said, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, 
Tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Once again, kind of funny. She's looking at Jesus going, hey, Jesus, where'd you put Jesus? Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. She told them that he had said these things to her. I wanna take this text today, and for the next 30 minutes or so, I wanna preach from the subject of what that team was singing about earlier, and that is I wanna preach from the thought, morning ends in the morning. Morning ends in the morning. Anyone out there, just by a show of hands, uh, you're afraid of the dark? Where are you at? A couple of us, a couple of adults still uh, can admit it, you know? Uh, I'm a dad now of three. I have three children. My oldest is four. My, my second son, we named him Wild. He is living up to his name. He is two years of age. And then my favorite child, as I always say, is my daughter. And um, she's nine months. Her name is Waylon. And every night I put my boys down for sleep. Uh, before I walk out, they always go, Dad, we need more light. Because my sons are still at that age that the darkness scares them. How many of y'all know sleeping in the dark is a learned skill? Naturally, we don't like the dark. Anyone can go back to like your younger years. I remember when I was in bed and like you had to get up for something and you're laying in bed and you're really afraid because it's really dark in the room and you gotta, you gotta turn the light on, but like you don't just get up and do that casually and swagged out and cool. You like speak in tongues, you hit yourself on the chest a couple times and then you jump up and you sprint as fast as you can and you hit the light switch on. Because darkness has a way of creating uncertainty. You ever notice you start seeing things in the dark that are not there? You start hearing things in the dark that aren't actually there. Darkness brings confusion. Darkness removes clarity from our life. And there's a lot of people that are here today at VU Church. And if you were to describe the season that you are in, you would say, Rich, I feel like I'm in a season of darkness. What does heartache feel like? It feels like darkness. What does anxiety feel like? It feels like darkness. What does depression feel like? It feels like darkness. What does grief or mourning or sorrow feel like? It feels like darkness. And maybe you're here today and you would describe your season as one of of darkness. There's a guy in the Bible, his name is David, and we know him as the psalmist because he wrote songs. Like before there was Vu worship, there was David. And David describes a situation from Psalm chapter 30, verse five. He says, for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was dismayed. David, who we get a whole lot of his life in the Bible, describes the ups and downs of his life. We see him in high highs and we see him in low lows. And right here in the text, he describes a moment that he was prospering, that life was going good. And he said to himself, in my prosperity, when I was on the mountaintop, I will never be shaken, I will never be moved. Anyone learn the simple truth that prosperity will bring you friends? 
but poverty will prove your friends. David is saying in my prosperity, in my success, I was never gonna be shaken, I was never gonna be moved, but all it takes is a little bit of darkness to come in that I begin to tremble, I begin to be afraid, I wanna quit. But he testifies from the darkness. He testifies from his own life experience that if you will hang on long enough, there is joy coming in the morning light. Can I get a witness if there's anybody out there who can testify? Don't quit in the darkness. It's always darkest before dawn. Maybe you're here today and you're going, but Rich, I don't even see like a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel. I would still urge you today, in light of this day, hang on because joy is coming. I think all of us, a couple of weeks ago, we watched the news and we've been watching the cultural commentators as we saw Will Smith in a very low moment slap Chris Rock. It was the slap heard around the world. And it's been such a a difficult time uh, from for Will Smith and his family. And it was kind of crazy because right before this moment happened, I was, I'm actually reading right now Will Smith's autobiography. It's entitled Will. It's in a fabulous read. He's a genius writer. And he, he starts the book with this metaphor that I think has been such an encouragement to me as I just read it just a couple of weeks ago. And he, he talks very openly and from a place of vulnerability all throughout the book about his highs and his lows, about his, his successes and certainly about his failures. And he talks about his tumultuous relationship with his father who he loves very much and his father loved him, but it was toxic in different seasons. And he describes a moment when he was a little boy that his father had him build a wall outside of his shop. He and his brother just a couple of years apart Uh, around nine years of age, Will and his brother Harry are asked to build a wall from their dad. It took them a year to build this wall. These little boys out there just laying bricks. And one day Will kind of just shares from this story that he was out there and building this wall and he was complaining about building this wall and his dad overheard him complaining. And his dad walked out and confronted he and his brother and said, stop talking about the wall. You're not building a wall. He goes, I don't want to hear about a wall one more time. All you're doing today is laying bricks. Lay another brick and then another brick and then another brick. And Will said at just nine years of age, this became a metaphor for his entire life that whether it was his success or a failure, whether he was in his lowest moment, he said, I'm just gonna wake up another day and lay another brick. Can I encourage some people out here today? Whatever season you are in, just lay another brick. Stop focusing on your season and win the day. Because if you'll just hang on for another day, joy is coming. You see, David, he speaks about this in Psalm 30, and he is speaking from a life experience that weeping was enduring for the night, but joy came in the morning light. But he wasn't just speaking from an experience. He was prophesying about the great day. What is the great day? It was the first Easter Sunday where they put Jesus into a grave. But three days later in the morning, he resurrected. And because of it, you and I, we too can walk into resurrection. Morning ends in the morning. John chapter 20 is the story of the greatest morning in the history of all mornings. 
Yet what's powerful about John chapter 20 is before we get to the good news, how many all know it is layered in bad news? Maybe you are in a bad news season. I just wanna remind you that before we get Sunday, we had Friday. And Jesus went to a cruel, rugged cross and there he was stretched wide and hung high and he bled a crown of thorns on his head. He took lashings to his back, a spear to his side and he did all of it for you and for me. He was paying the price for our sins. What's amazing about the story is that it seemed to be the worst three days in the history of the universe. But out of that bad season, out of all that mourning, out of all of that darkness came the greatest light the world has ever seen. Can I prophesy to somebody here today? The worst season you are in right now typically will give birth to your best season. If you don't give up, if you'll hang on, the best is yet to come. Can I get a witness today? If you believe it, the best is yet to come. No one knew 2,000 years ago in the month of April as they came to that tomb, it just seemed like another day in the Middle East, but Jesus was getting up out of that grave. And who knew that what was taking place that day would still have ripple effects to this moment we are in right now. Because oftentimes our worst season will give birth to our, our best season. I wanna just give you three simple clues today from John chapter 20, that morning ends in the morning. And I really have two motives today. My first motive is those of you that do not know Jesus, that you would walk out of here at least hearing about his love and his gospel. And then my second motive is anybody who's here today who is in the midst of darkness, in the midst of a season of failure, that you feel like you're at your lowest moment. My prayer is that we could give you enough encouragement that you would win the day, that you would lay another brick and you would trust what God's word says, that weeping, it happens in the night, but joy, it will come in the morning. The first clue that we have in the text is simply the tomb. Everyone say the tomb. The scripture says that Mary Magdalene Early in the morning on Sunday, she went to the tomb. Now she's going to the tomb to simply pay respect to Jesus's body. I think a lot of people in church today, they don't realize that when Jesus died, Christianity, which didn't even exist yet, but it died. There was no like, the movement died. People scattered, people ran. Why? Because Messiahs, they can't be killed. Sons of God, they, they don't die. So when Jesus went up on that cross, they said, all right, it's all over. It, it's, it's completely over. It was darkness in everyone's life. Mary Magdalene, who was a follower of Jesus, early in the morning on the first day of the week on Sunday, she makes her way to the tomb to simply pay respect to the body of Jesus. But the first clue that I get that morning ends in the morning is simply the tomb. The tomb itself is a clue. You say, Rich, why is it? Well, well the first thing we know about the tomb is that this wasn't Jesus's tomb. This tomb belonged to a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. He was a wealthy man, watch this, who was a part of the Sadducees. He was part of the Sanhedrin, meaning he was a part of the group of people that put Jesus on the cross. But Joseph of Arimathea, 
didn't believe that Jesus should go to the cross. He opposed them, but nonetheless, the verdict came out and Jesus went to the cross and Joseph Arimathea put his hand up and said, can he be buried in my tomb? Joseph, as we know, is a very, very wealthy, wealthy man. And it wasn't just Joseph Arimathea. There was another guy, some of you remember him from John chapter three, his name is Nicodemus. Remember, he was the Pharisee who came to Jesus in the night. He had questions about salvation. He was teaching people. And although he had all the morality and he knew all the right things, he was still empty at night. And so he came to Jesus in the night with his questions. And both Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus, they took Jesus and they put them in Jesus's tomb. I think it's kind of hilarious that Jesus did not own his own tomb. Why? Because the scripture says, that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. He was a humble man. He didn't have very many material possessions. But the best thing about Jesus, why on earth would you purchase a tomb that you were only gonna use for three days? You don't need to buy something that you could borrow, yo. But not just that, Isaiah 53 says that he would be buried in a wealthy man's tomb and that he would die around the wicked, although he committed no crime. Written some 700 years before it happened, Jesus, even in his death, is fulfilling a precise prophecy. But watch this, it's even better. When Mary gets to that tomb, Jesus' body is not there. She's at the rented tomb, but Jesus is not there. But also, the stone has been rolled away. Maybe it doesn't seem like a big deal to you, but that stone weighed close to two tons. It would take a lot of people to remove the stone. It was not an act of humanity. It was truly a divine appointment. It was a supernatural act that the stone was rolled away. And we ought to all make sure that we understand the stone was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. Yo, the stone was rolled away so that you and I could get in. You gotta see that. We, it was rolled away so that you and I could peer in and look. You say, Rich, why on earth are you telling me about the tomb? The tomb is so important because what does the tomb tell us? The tomb tells us that Jesus is not surprised. And when you are in a season of darkness, you gotta think back to this tomb. He didn't purchase it, he borrowed it. The stone was removed so that, not that he could get out, but that we could get in. So whenever I am in darkness, whenever I'm in a season that I don't know how to get through it, please know Jesus is not shocked by your circumstance. I know you're afraid of your bills. I know you weren't expecting that to happen at your job. I know you're having a tough time with your relationship right now, but you serve a God who is looking upon you. If his eye is on the sparrow, his eye is upon you. He's got the whole world in his hands. The tomb tells me that Jesus is not surprised. Morning ends in the morning. But it's not just the tomb. The second thing that we see is this other little clue is the folded napkin. Everyone say the folded napkin. Now, judging upon which translation you have, it might say folded cloth, but I grew up reading about the folded napkin. Look at what happens here. Mary, she gets to the tomb. He's not there. She's freaked out. So she runs back to Peter and John and she's like, someone took Jesus. He, he's not here. We, we, we gotta find him. And so now Peter and John take off running and I, I love it because John, almost every scholar believes, wrote the book that we're reading. And um, it never says his name. In fact, every time John writes about himself, I like it how he describes himself. He says, the one whom Jesus loved. 
It's like, John, why do you think you're so special, bro? And um, you're gonna see he thinks he's really special because watch this, look at this. This is verse six. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him. So John's like, yo, I'm running fast. Peter could not keep up. Look at how much he wants to make this point. He goes, who was behind him arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus's head. Watch this. The cloth or the napkin was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, watch this. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside and saw and believed. I don't know why John is making it such a point. I mean, maybe number one, he's very, very competitive. That could be very, very true. Um, maybe, maybe Peter gets there second because Peter's just old and slow. Um, but maybe, just maybe, there's an indication that Peter gets there second because maybe, just maybe, Peter's spiritual fervor is not what it was three days ago. Some of you all know the story of Peter, but Peter betrayed and denied Jesus to a little girl three different times. How many of you know, when shame hits our life, we tend to walk a little bit slower towards Jesus. So here's John the beloved, he's running fast. And Peter, whether he's old and slow, or if it's just shame that's slowing him down, his season of darkness is stopping and preventing him from running to the place where Jesus is. The scripture says that as they arrive there at the tomb, I want you to see this. First, Peter goes in and the scripture says that he saw the strips of linen all lying there. Now, what's really interesting is that when you look at the Greek word for saw, it's not the typical Greek word. Instead, it's the word uh, theoreo, where we get the word theorize. This is just a little note that you've got to see as you, as you inspect this text, that as Peter saw the strips of linen, he began to theorize. Well, what does that mean? It means to observe something intently, looking for an explanation. It's rationality. It's, it's looking at something and thinking. I'm just making mention of that because a lot of people think that sometimes faith is just dumb. We just think that faith has no logic. We think that faith has no reason. We think we just throw our mind away and that's faith. But that is not true, friends. Faith has to be attached to something. You just need to know, Christian faith is more than reasoning, but it's not less. And if you haven't taken time to reason with your faith and to think through your faith, when the darkness comes, when obstacles come, when challenges come, it will be hard for your faith to stand. You need the type of faith that actually theorizes, thinks deeply about what is going on. What do I actually believe? And what is it that Peter is probably theorizing about? Well, he's looking and he sees all of the grave clothes still there. And he's probably thinking to himself, wait a minute, if robbers came in and took Jesus's body, they wouldn't have left the clothes and they wouldn't have left the spices which they could have sold for money. So that doesn't really make sense. He probably would have continued, continued to theorize and go, wait a minute, I don't think other disciples came in and took Jesus's body. How dishonoring would that have been to take Jesus's body naked from the tomb? He's probably calculating and concluding right there in the moment that something phenomenal has happened. That's why it says when John walked in, he saw, and although he didn't see the body, he believed. This is where faith comes into play. I have never seen Jesus's physical body, but friends, I have been believing that he resurrected for a long time. That's faith. 
I saw and I believed. And there's lots of evidences we could give you today. We don't have that kind of time, but I think for all of us on Easter Sunday, this is a day that you really should consider. Listen, if Jesus did not resurrect, this is one big waste of time. Thanks for wearing your pastels. I hope you have a good brunch, but there are better country clubs. But if he did resurrect from that grave, there is nothing more important on the earth than what we are doing right now. I have to consider that. I have to come to my own conclusion and I have to believe. Well, Rich, why do you believe? You just believe because you got goosebumps because the worship team sings songs and you cry? No, it's more than that. I think deeply about my faith. I think about the fact that these disciples, Peter, for instance, this dude denied Jesus to a little girl. So he's not a picture of courage. He is a picture of a coward. Many times we come up on these stages and we kind of project images of courage, but if we're really being honest, most of us, we relate more to the coward. Peter is a coward on Friday. But what you will find out about his life is that after he sees Jesus, his physical body, this man goes and gives his life for the gospel. Why? Because some people will live for a lie, but very few people will die for a lie that they know to be a lie. Listen, why would the disciples go around saying that Jesus resurrected? You tell lies to get out of trouble, not to get into trouble. How many of y'all know, martyrs and hypocrites, they aren't built out of the same stuff. These guys saw something and it produced a boldness and a courage. How about this evidence? We're gonna see in a moment that Mary Magdalene is the very first evangelist. You're like, that's not really a big deal. It's a really big deal. Because women in this time period were looked down upon. They were oppressed. They were seen as second-class citizens. Watch this. If you were starting a religion, you would never wanna use as a credible witness a woman. So if you're making it all up, you'd make up something better. You'd find someone more astounds, more great, something more accomplished. You wouldn't use a woman who had seven demons cast out of her. That's what it says about Mary Magdalene. You say, what does that mean, demon possession? You gotta go back, but in that time period, especially there was, there was demons that would, that would show up and they would convulse, and they were uncontrollable. They were typically left alone, you know, at very best, at least some sort of a major mental disorder this woman is going after. Why would you pick her to be the credible witness? You wouldn't do it unless it actually happened. Which by the way, what a picture of grace that when God says, I know who I want to announce that I'm alive, I'm gonna pick the least likely. I'm gonna pick the one that nobody else would pick. Anybody grateful that God, when he uses people, he doesn't pick people on the basis that we pick people? So they're looking, they're theorizing, and they're believing. But it's not just that they see the linen, they see something in particular. They see the folded napkin, the folded cloth. It was the face cloth that was put over Jesus's face and it was neatly folded. I love Jesus because as you study him, what you'll see is all throughout his teaching, he will use cultural clues. I think if he was preaching, he would preach about Will Smith today. That's why I used it. (laughs) Just lay another brick. He's gonna get out of this, just lay another brick. 
Don't focus on the wall, focus on the brick. Don't focus on the season, focus on the day. The folded napkin. In that time period, when a master was having dinner, when he would get up from the table, if he was finished with his meal, he would throw his napkin on the table and he would walk away and the servant would know, all right, let's clean up. Let's clean up the meal he's done. But if the master got up from the meal and folded his napkin, it was a sign, I'm coming back. So when Peter and John look in there, they're like, all right, robbers didn't take this body. Disciples didn't take, oh my goodness, he folded the napkin. He's coming back. I want to encourage you. There is a clue in your morning. God does not leave you. He does not forsake you. He still is Emmanuel, God with us. He's coming back for you. Come on, somebody give him praise. Come on, city. Come on, show me. Give God some praise. Morning ends in the morning. He folded the napkin and it tells me he's coming back for me. He's coming back for me. It's the tomb. It's the folded napkin. And lastly today, it is the fact that he is the gardener. So Mary, she's there at the tomb. And Peter and John, they look in and they believe, but they take off running. They're afraid. They're like, oh my goodness. They run. But I like Mary because Mary stays put. Shout out to all the people that when it gets difficult, when it gets hard, when you get offended, when you feel like quitting, you don't leave, you stay put. Mary, she doesn't leave. She stays. And the scripture says that she is crying and she's weeping. She's, she's almost hysterical. This is darkness. This is weeping in the night. This is mourning at its best. She's hurting and she's grieving. She was just trying to go and pay respect to the man's body, but now the body's gone. Who took this man? Where is he? My heart is even more broken. I didn't know it could get darker than this, but I am devastated. The scripture says she walks in the tomb, and when she walks in the tomb, she sees two angels, one at the head and one at the foot of the linen. And as she's crying, they say, woman, why are you crying? Now, what's amazing now is that 2,000 years later, we get to see the entire story in front of us. Mary probably didn't recognize it at the moment, especially probably being somebody who didn't grow up in Judaism. But truly, what we're seeing right here in John chapter 20 is we're seeing a picture of Exodus. Some of you know the story of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a golden chest that God's presence dwelt in. It was brought to the tabernacle. Wherever the Ark went, God's presence went with it. And if you study the Ark, what you'll know is on the top of the Ark, there is a place that has two cherubim. That's a nice fancy word for two angels. There's two golden angels on the lid of the Ark. And in the center of the Ark is what we call the mercy seat. And it's the literal place where God's presence dwelt. And now here's Mary looking at the mercy seat, an angel at the head, an angel at the foot, the two cherubim. But this time, God's presence is not confined to a location. But now the good news of Easter is his presence got out. His presence got out. The mercy seat is available to everyone. And she's crying and she's weeping. You ever cry so hard you convince yourself you have asthma? crying and she's weeping. You ever cry so hard that you're looking 
through those tears and everything you see is blurred. I thought there's people here today, you're here today, but you're looking at the world through, through the lens of tears and you're missing out on the beauty, you're missing out on the reality, all you're seeing is the burden, all you're seeing is the pain, all you're seeing is the sorrow. What you're seeing is not reality, it's the reality of your tears. And the angel says, woman, why are you crying? And I like Mary, she's like, yo, where'd you put him? This is a woman you don't wanna mess with, like where, where is he, where did you put him? And as she's crying, she's telling off the angels, there's another voice and it's Jesus's voice. But as Mary turns and looks at Jesus, Jesus says to her, woman, why are you crying? Now she's looking at Jesus and she says, sir, where'd you put him? Sometimes this is what our prayer life looks like. You're talking to God, but you don't think he's listening. You're talking to God, but you don't think he's there. All right, Jesus. Where are you at, Jesus? He's like, I'm standing in front of you. But the scripture says that Mary thinks he's the gardener. I don't think Jesus is the gardener. I know Jesus is the gardener. So you gotta go all the way back to the early part of the story. It starts in Genesis where God created the heavens and the earth and he created a garden known as Eden. And the scripture says that God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. It was perfect relationship, perfect community. It was the gardener walking with his subjects. Come on, I don't think it's coincidence that the very first person to see Jesus in his resurrected self thinks he's the gardener. Of course he's the gardener. He was the gardener in Genesis, and he's letting every one of us know on this morning that Eden is back open for business. You can walk with me and you can talk with me. I am not relegated to some space. Wherever you go, I will go with you. I am the gardener. I'm the gardener. And I want relationship with you. See, Rich, what does the gardener tell me? The gardener tells me that Jesus is telling a story. And some of us today on this Easter Sunday, you need a revelation. And the revelation is, if you keep making yourself the main character of your story, you're gonna always be disappointed. You're gonna always be disillusioned. You're not the main character. He is. It's always been a story about Jesus. He's a storyteller. And he started a story in Genesis and mankind, we fell, we rebelled, we sinned. What is sin? It's missing God's mark, it's missing God's standard. It's wanting to be our own God. That's how the serpent convinced them. You wanna be like God? They already had it all, but they wanted to achieve more. Let me get more, let me do it my way. Whatever I feel, I'll do. Whatever I want, I'll get. I am my own God, that is sin. And with it, depravity set in 
and the relationship between us and God was severed. It was broken. There was a wall that was created. And you read from Genesis all the way to the Gospel of John, and God is trying to tell a story. God is trying to rescue a people. And so finally, God sends his own begotten son in the form of a baby. He grows into a man. He lives a sinless, spotless, perfect life. He is the only sacrifice that could ever atone for all of your sin. And he willfully desired to go to the cross and pay the price once and for all, for all of us. And from a cross, Buddha's last words were, strive earnestly. But Jesus' last words were, it is finished. Trust, come back to the garden. I'm the gardener, I'm the creator. Surrender, walk with me in relationship. I am the gardener. Welcome back into the story. You can be a part of the story on this Sunday. He's inviting you, he's telling a story, it's a clue. How do I know the morning's gonna end in the morning? Because he's telling a story. And your story is nothing without some struggle. Your story is uninteresting without some pain, without some strife, without some heartache. She thinks it's the gardener and Jesus. How does he reveal himself? He doesn't say, here I am. Instead, he says, there you are. He says, Mary. He calls her by name. And when she hears her name from her master's lips, she begins to break and she runs and she says, Rabboni, which means teacher in Aramaic. And she wraps her arms around Jesus and she clings herself to Jesus. She's hugging him. Joy has come. Satisfaction has come. A miracle has taken place. Jesus was dead on Friday, but now he's alive on Sunday. And Mary's thinking to herself, I'm not ever letting you go again. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, Mary, don't hang on to me. Instead, go and tell others about me. This is what's so amazing about Jesus is that he's the storyteller, but he's inviting you and I in to tell his story. He says, I have a plan, I have a mission, but I wanna use you in my mission to tell my story. And Mary, she lets him go and she becomes the first preacher in the Bible of the new covenant. She walks back to where the disciples are and here's her sermon, get ready. Those of you who are going, I need seminary and I need more growth track and I need more training. Yeah, those things are great, but here's the first preacher and here's the whole sermon. This is a word to me. You don't have to go long, bro. I have seen the Lord. Welcome to Voo Church. Can women preach? Ah, uh, Jesus thought so. He thought Mary was qualified enough to go and tell her story that others might be invited into the story. And I got a feeling today that if you give your life to Jesus in this moment, in this instant, you are qualified to tell your story, which will set the captives free. Rich, what's my story? Your story is my story. We all have the same story. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was blind, 
but now I see. Once I was deaf, but now I can hear. Once I was dead, but now I'm alive. Once I was mourning, but joy came in the morning. I got a story to tell. Do you believe it tonight? Come on, your hands. Come on, sing it Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we want to partner with you in the next steps of your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com online. We love you.